Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. With us today is Matt McGinnis of Buckland. Uh, Matt and I first met a few years back when he was a customer of ours um, at one of my prior consulting companies. And we met through a mutual friend of ours, Ron Joy, who is now kicking it really well over at Databricks. And, uh, but Matt, welcome today. It's awesome to have you on. Hey, Sid. Thanks for having me on the show. Matt, this is going to be a different one, right? So we've talked a lot with very tenured and seasoned executives, leaders, visionaries, so folks that are well-known. This discussion today is going to be a little different. We are going to talk with you today in the theme of emerging leaders. So you are not as tenured and seasoned as the other people. As you can tell, I've got gray hair. You don't, right? Uh, although you can't see that on the audio podcast. But So we're talking with emerging leaders and emerging visionaries in this data space. You have an unusual path. And that's the fun thing. I keep saying, you know, here's the bit. I keep saying unusual path and everybody that we've talked to, I keep saying unusual path. So is it unusual if everybody has it? it it's all unique, right? Everybody finds it's all, their own way. And that's been part of the fun. And this for me is thinking about how those different steps really led to now it seems like an obvious conclusion, but definitely wasn't as you're in that path. Yeah, it's one of those things where all the dots on the map make sense once you actually connect them in retrospect. But as you're going through them, it, it doesn't, that picture, that path is not always as clear. So you have had your own, I love that, how you, you phrase that, your own unique version, your own unique story to the current leadership position you are in Buckland. So if you don't mind, give us a quick, tell us the end state or your current end state, end state as of today, this moment. Where are you today? And then let's walk back a little bit. Of how did you get there? Yeah. So right now I am the business intelligence manager for Buckland. I've got a team of six people, really four that are 100% my direct reports, and then two that are dotted lines to me, but they spend the majority of their time with my team. So I, I really kind of consider them mine as well. Mm -hmm. And then it's been a, like I said, a path to get here. Started out of high school with the U.S. Army for five years and then went and got my bachelor's degree in management information systems. I like to say that was I spent my time in the Army in signals intelligence using these big, huge national security databases to try and find bad guys. And mm -hmm. this was 2003 to 2005 or eight, excuse me, 2003 to 2008. So the height of everything that was going on in Afghanistan and Iraq. And just said, the Army is not going to be a 20-year thing for me, but I really enjoyed using this information and finding it and putting the puzzle pieces together. Let's go learn about these databases, which was the management information systems. When we were talking earlier, there was a beautiful phrase, and I'm not sure is this, and I'm an Army brat, but I also was in MedCom. My dad was doctor, so a little bit very different than your experience, even though same branch of the military. So we always, it's always fun to learn new phrases, right? Every group, every tribe inside the services has their different thing. So I hadn't heard this one yet, the truth on the ground. Yep. And I love that one. So explain that a bit. That was a quote that just stuck with me right out of what's called IET or initial entry training in the army. You, you join, you go through basic training that everybody gets to do. And then mm -hmm. you go to 
this IET training, which is let me teach you how to do your actual job in the army. Mm -hmm. So me being a signals analyst, it was all about how you use it, intelligence information that we've captured from the enemy to figure out what's going on. And so it was Sergeant First Class Lewis, and you can tell this stuck with me 20 years later. He said, soldiers, there's always a truth on the ground. Your mm -hmm. job as an analyst is to use the information available to find that truth. And he's right. There's, you think about in the army and conflict and even in business, something is always happening. Like the business is moving. The, the armies are moving. There is a truth on the ground. And as an Intel analyst, the job was to, f to use the information we had to figure out what that truth was. I have to say, I, I'm going to try out using that a lot now because there is a, there's a frequently used phrase when we dive into user experience or in the early days, user experience and user experience design and, and design-led thinking. And not actually, I take that back, not necessarily design-led thinking, but more when you're running workshops to fill in the gaps for executives. And so they call it the perception gap, mm -hmm. right? The perception gap between what the executives think is happening in their business versus what's happening on the ground. But the one thing was, as soon as I saw this truth on the ground statement, why I like that better versus perception gap is even if you say perception gap, that the leadership can sometimes think, oh, that's just because they don't understand what I'm thinking. Yeah. They don't see the <laughs> same information. They yeah. Yep. Even and, more put, so, puts, like in the business yep. intelligence space, it's, you think of that, that Gartner kind of maturity model, BI is that mm -hmm. descriptive what's happened, right? The business is, is operating. It's using its different ERP systems or CRM systems. And that is the truth on the ground of what the business is doing. And as a BI group, our job is to provide that information to executives, to leaders, to whoever needs it within the business. So now you've got a taste for what information could do. Uh, and it's not everybody gets to experience data the way that you experienced it right out the gate. Um, that is. So what kind of impression did that leave upon you, you know, when you're literally looking at life and death scenarios with the information that you process? I want to say the older I get, the more I appreciate it as right out of high school, 19, 20, 21 year old private specialist Sergeant McGinnis in the army. It was exciting to go find the bad guys. And you didn't, I didn't really think about the broader implications of that a ton. The, the patterns were super interesting. And it's one of the things that I can talk about that's not secret and I it sounds mysterious and spooky when I say that but really it's just <laughs> me being careful yes it's like you learned how to realize what's actually happening based off different data points so we joke with signals intelligence it's you know radio or phone or whatever and that the common joke is if you see a phone number that a bad guy calls once a year for three minutes don't worry about it that's his mother-in-law it's the obligatory check-in. Yeah, but like it's, how, it's, oh, you're still alive? Okay, good. Yeah, understanding those patterns to life. If you think about my day or your day, it's there's you talk to people like in the morning as you're getting up and getting ready, and then you go to work and that activity tamps down. And then lunchtime, there's another peak. And then in the evening, and it's that kind of stuff that was really interesting and in learning how to pull that out and then say, this is unusual. It needs to be looked at more. It's fascinating the insights that we can glean when more or sort of richer data sets are available. I, I think this was in the book Freakonomics where they, and obviously they put it in the book because it's the information, the intelligence has since become well-known or leaked, but it was about that suicide bombers don't buy life insurance. 
Yeah. That was one of the things people was like, it makes sense to say it, but it was something that they would use, were using to identify. And then obviously now that's well known, anybody that's going to plan a terrorist attack is buying life insurance. And so you go through, honestly, a situation in data where very few people have this. So now what led to, you knew going in, this wasn't going to be a lifetime career. You, so you set a clock in your head and then decided to go to, to school afterwards before joining the commercial ranks. Is it because of your time in the Army that you decided to pick doing management information systems? It, that was a big factor of it. I like to say in the Army, we had access to these big databases of intelligence information, but it was just you were using a GUI and you were going and querying through the tools that other mm -hmm. people had built and trying to pull information out and make sense of it. So I was like, oh, that's fun. Let's go learn about more about databases and how they function. And mm -hmm. I chose management information systems over computer science because it was in the business school and I didn't have to do as much math, which is <laughs> a little bit of a confession on myself. It, yeah. you know, the school I went to, Lamar, was part of the SAP Alliance. And so we did a lot of ERP stuff and we did a lot of mm -hmm. database, like the kind of the capstone theme through was find a business problem and build a database when access first and then an Oracle, I think, that let you capture that information. So you learn about dimensional modeling and the different kind of table relationships. And those two pieces, I think, were really pretty foundational to what I'm doing in BI now, which is get information out of ERPs and display it, you know, through Power BI is what we use at Buckland. <laughs> that all goes into a database first. So when you were at, so out of curiosity, when you were at Lamar, how many people had your background going into? You stood out a little bit. Not too many. Age was a big standout, a non-traditional student. I did five years army first. And mm -hmm. that really helped me understand why I was at school as opposed to coming out of high school. And that's just the next step that your parents tell you you're going to college. There was some veteran community and it was like nice to have that. You could all kind of share stories, but not a ton. So then you are, you're finishing up your degree and then you start with your first job in, in the civilian sector. So what was that like? And how do you feel like that prepared you for how information's used in more commercial purposes. Yeah. So again, they just, when I look back, it was the next block. The company was a reach group. We were in the, the oil and gas space mm -hmm. and I came in as a data tech, just plugging information into the tool that the company had developed that let us do performance comparisons among oil wells. Yeah. The project was really, was working for an onshore driller in Texas and they were drilling a whole bunch of oil wells and what the company offered was a continuous improvement service, right? We'll come in, we'll work with you to do lessons learned and best practices and performance metrics and really just help you continually improve your operation. I give that a lot of credit to thinking about how to use information productively in a commercial environment. I love one of the points you were making earlier. And then when, you, when we were also, when we were exchanging some information back and forth over email, and this is one I, I would love to highlight, right? Which is understanding of how business processes generate data, right? Yeah. So map, map to that. Why was that phrase? You, you wanted to stick that in there to make mm -hmm. sure we talked about it for a reason. Why is that important to you? It's, I would say it's foundational to anything we do in data and analytics, right? Because it all ties back to what the business, right? What the business is doing and <laughs> how we can help that. So when you take this data that you know, is being generated, you have to understand why this data exists. 
before you can mm -hmm. apply it. So that's really what that, that continuous improvement and that KPI measure tracking really did is, hey, we're out there drilling a well. Every step of the physical well drilling is generating certain data points. And this is how these data points translate into let's get better every time. But you see the same themes running through that. That's back to that truth on the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> the business <laughs> is out there is. generating data and we're capturing that. But if you don't understand that it's reflective of a truth on the ground, you're not going to use it effectively. Yeah. There's a, one of the other gentlemen that we had on the show earlier, Malcolm from Prophecy. He, I don't think we actually talked about this on the, the show, but we did talk about it afterwards. What that point relates a little bit to what you hear is the push for data literacy. And so one of the things I've talked to other folks about, it's like, I had, I'm going to admit, I had a misunderstanding when people first talked about data literacy, because I perceived data literacy as, oh, this is great. This is how we as the techies should become more literate about the data that the business is producing. Mm -hmm. But it was actually the other way around. <laughs> it's a business it, a to lot understand the, what, what's coming what back What the techies to them. are yep. doing. Yeah. And I agree. It, it needs to be, it needs to be a circle, right? Like the, at some point that the business folks, it's better to become good at using the data and the ways to use the data and how the data should be used and the, and the feedback and input mechanisms that can be given back to tech to help with everything, everything from, we need to change some technical processes so that the data is gathered better for around the business. We're going through that right now. We've got a oh yeah <laughs> a, a request for some reporting, but as you dig mm -hmm. into it, you understand that the business logic is so inconsistent across the board that it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to really build an automated kind of data tool around that because there are so many exceptions that just live in somebody's head or they mm -hmm. make a decision on the fly that says, I know I usually use this field this way, but I'm going to, I'm going to use it for something different this time. So I can remember later yeah. and you, <laughs> right. That doesn't translate to code or BI tools at all. No, it doesn't, but it does, as you say, represent a truth on the ground, right. And the truth that we, you know, when we engage in good dialogues and an effective and respectful dialogues back and forth, then we can find that out, right? There are business folks aren't dumb. They're very smart, right? For the most part, mm -hmm. very, just like for the most part, we're smart. Not always, yeah. <laughs> but both sides are good and both sides make mistakes. And, but without that dialogue, we can't discover that. I, one of the, the easiest ones I point to literally had a global call quality tool used differently by every business unit. So customer care, you use the same tool, 80% mm -hmm. the same, 20% different. And then when they switched vendors that were auditing the calls, then how they use the fields changed. And so we literally had to map rules, date-driven rules and, and department-driven rules. But what we did use is use that to drive back. It's like drive awareness. Is, oh, did you realize HBU is giving their vendor different instructions? No, we didn't know that. There, there are we... some interesting things that shake out when you can see that in the BI world. And now as a manager, like you, you get involved in more of the business conversations and I, I try to stay very aware of like how much I should be involved in helping the business define these processes. Because mm -hmm. it's one of those is if you get a good analyst, they can be very type A personalities. And we, we looked at the information and we're right. And here's how you should do it. But that's, yeah. and that ties into one of the points I'll get to later. It's really not our role to tell the business what to do, right? That's why we have those business leaders out there. They're mm -hmm. responsible for the P&L for that line of business. And even more so in BI, I see our roles to 
get them the information they need. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this, maybe this is the next point you want to go to is stay focused on business and delivering value. You, you can only do that if you're willing to listen, willing to hear, willing to take feedback. So what have you learned about that, doing that? You, you've got, I love some of these poignant phrases you put in the notes here, but those come with cuts and scars and bruises. It's so lessons what, learned. And the phrase I'm, I'm, I like to say is don't chase the shiny. And that comes from yeah. a little bit of, I love the show Firefly and a lot of the data data nerds mm. out there also know it and love it. <laughs> but the phrase I used when something was neat and fun and exciting was shiny. And <laughs> yeah. again, back to analysts thinking, okay, I've looked at the data. I know this, I'm right. It's, I've done it before. I had an idea and I think this would be an awesome metric to put out there. And I spent a bunch of time kind of pulling the data together and building it and trying to sell it and nobody cared. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it was not a good metric for any of my business users. It was a great idea or a fun idea that Matt had that he then sunk a bunch of business resources into developing. And it, it was chasing the shiny, right? It wasn't staying focused on what the business was telling me they needed. It was chasing my own ideas. Now on that, did you run astray because you got lost in the technical details and the art of the possible that you saw? Or was it a, you didn't quite understand the goals of the business? You didn't have that macro view or is it a combination of both? Like what, if looking back in retrospect, because we see this a lot, right? I'm asking this because you see this happen a lot in folks earlier in the career. So what would you tell younger Matt was the missing piece? The first thing I'd probably say is talk to the business first. It's great <laughs> to have the idea. Yeah. What I would have done differently is instead of sinking all that time into kind of building it and making it look fancy and then trying to sell a finished product, I would have gone to my business leaders and say, hey, I've, I've had an idea. Here's, it was a kind of like a four different level, three or four different level compound metric. I can give you this one number and it'll tell you so much. <laughs> and that the piece that I should have done was just give them that idea, right? Say, Hey, here's look, spend 10 minutes or an hour or two hours doing a simple mock-up Like, Here's something I think is interesting. Do you see any value in this? And they could have given me the yeah. feedback and I wouldn't have spent all of that time not doing other yeah, projects I, that people did need. You've got kids. And so you see this, I don't know. I can't remember. Are your kids old enough where they're cutting scissors and glue? It's coming soon. I've got a two-year-old and she's managed to get some blue color onto the sofa and some green crayon onto the doors, but we haven't gotten scissors yeah. yet. Okay. But you're still into that creative destructive phase that's now there and it's only going to get bigger and broader and more wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's what we'll say. It's wonderful. Um, but some of my old friends and past coworkers, they didn't like at first all the parenting analogies I would use in consulting. And then afterwards it's, oh, that makes sense. Uh, and I think this is, kids are one of those things, right? It's you amazing how much kids. it's one side of the coin versus the other. Once you're there, it's like, there's no going back and you don't want to go back, yeah. but you don't fully yeah. understand it until you're awake <laughs> at three in the morning because you've got a kid that threw up and now you're wearing that throw up. So, Oh yeah. But that, and, and you see so much about how our professional interactions are just like, there's it, Different, different strategies, but the themes are very similar. And mm -hmm. so it's like watching people young in career is very similar to watching my first grader. Right? They're going to waste a lot of resources learning something. They're going to burn through a lot of paper, a lot of glue, a lot of crayons. But at some point, they're going to learn to assemble that picture. And we have to let, but they won't get that learning without that waste. And so it's the question of now, when they're kids, do we want to let them do a little bit more creative? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
So it's always that balance on how do we give people the freedom to explore because they can't create anything unless we give them that. There's going to be an inherent amount of waste, but then the goal, hopefully, is that if people are learning through that, that they can produce something of of intrinsic value. And I think that's one of the the biggest benefits I've had from the couple of bosses and really mentors in my career that made a big difference is they gave me that space. And now that I'm on the other side trying to figure out, you know, how much room do we have to to run with things like that versus what we've got to deliver as a team. So that, that that's the transition really is I've become a manager is, is thinking about like with my kid, right? Where do I put the guardrails? <laughs> how no. much do I let her go play and explore versus say, nope, that's too high up the ladder. I'm going to go bring you down now. Yeah. So what are some of those things that your past leaders did for you that you are going to replicate now as a new and, and a new leader? And then over time, and uh, going to be going because you're on a wonderful trajectory here. Mm-hmm. So we can definitely see big things coming for you. So what are some of those things that you see that you are going to be replicating? And that can be all the way back to your army days, even. Letting them make some of those same mistakes, chase mm-hmm. the shiny a little bit, but not to the <laughs> point where it's a detriment. And then really just shielding them when those things happen. Say, hey, this is a learning experience. My person, even though this didn't deliver something directly valuable, they learned something about a tool doing this, or they found a new way to process the data we're getting. Like, it's even if the end result isn't directly loved by the business, if you can figure out how to make sure they're learning along the way, then it's you can, I can buy that for my team all day long and I can defend it up the line too. So, And with that defense, it underscores a key thing that, you know, those you are leading look for, which is trust, right? Can I trust you to have my back? Can I trust you to be there and make sure that you're watching out for my career? Trust doesn't always mean like you can, they can trust you even if uh, they don't always like your decisions, but if they can trust that your heart and your values are in the right spot, People don't always have to like the decisions that you make. They can just trust the decisions you make. That's part of the business world is that unless you're at the the very top, some of the time your job is just to go execute the decision that's been made. Yeah. (laughs) Matt, what is next? What do you have coming up? Where are you spending your time learning? How are you challenging yourself these days? The, The biggest one for me is how to grow more as a leader. Just those, how do I be more effective with my conversations, with vision setting? So yeah, trying to grow as a leader in the data world. And then the biggest struggle I have right now is figuring out the balance where it's becoming not my job to go do the technical things anymore. Yeah. So as I I came into Buckland, we had three guys on the team already. Two of those guys have been doing data and programming as individual contributors for 20 years. So I came out of AOT where I was the expert and the one that knew the BI system inside and out and the ERP system. So it was a little bit of an adjustment to say, I'm not going to be the best at this. Yeah. But the the counter to that is, I'll probably butcher this quote a little bit, but I think it was Steve Jobs who said, don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. Hire smart people and let them tell you what to do. Yeah. So I try and very much give my people as much room as I can to say, take a look at this. What do you think is the right path forward? And then I um, sit on the other side of that to make sure we're meeting deadlines and staying focused on the right types of things. From my side, are we focused on committing the resources to the right projects? And are Mm -hmm. we going to meet our timelines and giving my people who have done this 
as long as I have or longer, the latitude to say, here's how I think we should do it. And then putting some guardrails on that. I'm not going to let somebody go out and add 50% to our budget because this is a fun technology they want to play with. Not that anybody has tried that, but it's a good, <laughs> I, I like to say, use an extreme example to illustrate the point. You can uh, be a slightly hyperbolic and to get attention and make a point and then reel it back to reality. It's, sometimes people don't fully pay attention until you jar them out of the rut that they're in. So I absolutely understand say, yeah. statements like that. So I, I tend to focus more now on the, what are we doing? Is that the right things for the business? And do we have, and I'm going to introduce this for the first time, you've seen it before in my conversations and notes, the right people, processes, and platforms in place to, to do mm -hmm. what the business needs us to do with business intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you, I was just going to ask you about that. You talked about your three Ps. So how did you arrive on those as your three Ps on where you're focusing? A little bit of trial and error, a little bit of learning along the way. But then when I really just find the time to sit and think about, you know, what should I be doing as a business intelligence leader? Um, I came to really two points. The first one was provide the business the information it needs. And the second one was use my team in an efficient and effective manner. And sometimes you compromise the second for the first, but that leads to, okay, how do we provide the information the business needs through, through a platform, right? We've got Power BI, mm -hmm. we've got SQL Server, we've got all the stuff behind that. But then to use that platform, you need people that know the technology and can, can operate it and build business intelligence solutions. And then you need a process to interact with the business, right? How do they request things from you? How do you keep them apprised of what's going on? And really, how do you manage this whole task of delivering information? What do you see beyond, beyond these learnings? What do you see is next for you? What are, what are, how are you planning to take over the world? <laughs> and, and, it, and you don't have to reel all those plans. And now you got it locked in the safe under, under your desk yeah. there. If you're going to give the world a little bit of taste of, uh, of Matt's grand ambitions, what might those be? So I'll, I'll start small. The immediate future for me is just really stabilizing Buckland's BI solution, making sure those three Ps are just rock solid. Like I've got the right team, I've got the right processes and the right platforms to continue to deliver information. And once, once I've got that baseline in place, the next thing I want to look at really just steps up that Gartner maturity model, doesn't it? It's a logical progression. Okay. Yeah. We're delivering information about what's happened. How do we start looking at what's going to happen or where can we start folding in some analytics, some predictive modeling, like where are the opportunities, right? So then that BI team becomes a, a BI and analytics team or becomes yeah. a BI and data team. I've got a, one guy that's really smart on data modeling and moving stuff around. So. The question I ask is, can we take that skill set and deliver value elsewhere in the business? I think that's honestly a very mature approach. We see too many people try to jump to the end shiny, right? Back to use your words, don't yeah. chase the shiny. You see too many people try to jump to the end shiny. And they might actually, and actually in some ways, it's almost worst if you get a success out of that pursuit of the shiny. Because then if you haven't solidified your base, your foundation, you might get that shiny out there, but particularly if it's something more on the data science side and field conditions change. How do you repeat that? How do you, well, but how do you also modify it? Because then if you're, if your pipeline, if your processes, if your change management is ready, you know, now you've put something out that maybe somebody critically depends upon 
and you're and and now things are adapting. The world's changing, world evolving, customer behaviors, all these things change. How do you modify for what's happening? So then, this thing that was shiny now is producing incredibly bad results, inaccurate, you know, information, business users, and so and you don't have a good. And so then, you the only option is to rip it back out, and it doesn't look like a success at that. Yeah, so, I love to to use the analogy of a car when I think about you know why business intelligence because it's not the the attractive thing out there, you know, if you're, so if you're no. talking about a vehicle, yeah. everybody wants to know, you know, how much have like, yeah. you know, how fast can it go from the 60 and those are kind of the data science, right? Yeah. When I think about business intelligence, I go back to like tires, which no one really cares about a whole bunch, but it's <laughs> to borrow another phrase where the rubber meets the road of getting yeah. information to your business without that, like that kind of base and that platform, you can have all, you can have, you know all of the transmission and suspension, but without the tires down there, that car is not going to go very far. It can be an overlooked piece frequently, right? Table stakes metrics, right? We are still, even today, with companies that don't have timely, accurate, and informative pictures into this metric. How can you pursue new things and different things if you know the, you know, what really is required to keep your, really, your business operational? And there's other foundational piece to it too, I think, like, you know, as you're building that base level BI, and as I'm building that, it's, what do you have to do to, to make that happen, right? You've got to have that behind. You kind of get that data warehouse or data lake or whatever you're doing to store that information into a, a baseline state that's usable for more advanced projects. So it's, you know, you can say blocking and tackling are foundational, but it's, it really, in my mind... Part of the fun of BI is that you're at the, the base level of delivering value to the business information. So, yeah, keeps you very close to them. So, yeah. so you've got these, uh, you got these dreams, you're building this one foundation. What do you see for you and the team? Um, the analytics is the one I want to chase, which I know yeah. I shouldn't use the phrase <laughs> chase after all the conversation <laughs> we've had. As we're building BI reporting and listening to leaders, I'm trying to kind of put in the bank where I mm-hmm. for more advanced projects. So, but it really yeah. is how do we. You know, okay. once we're delivering the what what happened information, at a, at a certain point, you go from kind of a building and creating into a maintenance cycle on it, where you still mm-hmm. build some, but you're, you're going back and revisiting existing reporting to make sure it's still relevant. So what's the next? And that is those, those cases I'm trying to kind of hear and, and put to the side of, man, if I could get a prediction on this, that would really help me. Yeah. And I've got one or two of my guys, I think, already have some of that skill set. So we can, going back to that, right? Do I have the people and the processes and the platform to yes. do this? One or two of those guys have that skill set to start dabbling in sticks. That may be the case of when we try and launch this, let's find some outside contractor help or professional help for a short term to say, yeah, you guys are doing this right or no, you're not. And just, you know, speed up that cycle, right? Rather than stepping our way through it. Bring in an expert, say, here's how you do this correctly. Like I've said throughout my career, steal from the best with pride. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes, steal with the best. I like steal from the too. best with pride, man. If someone's doing something better than you, don't have enough ego to say, I've got to do this differently or my own way. If it's effective and it speeds up your time to deliver information, deliver that value, use it. I am writing that one down. I love that phrase. Steal from the best with pride. That's an awesome one. I think it's important, right? Be proud of what you produce. Be curious. I'm, have you done yet with any of your, particularly with people working from home, what are y'all doing to kind of embed your teams under you, um, you know, what, what your business counterparts are doing? I'll use a simple example. When I, you know, I took that crap job, I, it, was good, it was good for me. 
-hmm. It was really good for me. Hated it, um, you know, for, for lots of reasons, but I hated that call center job at Dell. But then I parlayed that into an ops job at Dell on yep. doing data on call centers. So I was the only one in the group that had lived what we were reporting and mining. Um, and what surprised me is that at the time, they still had all the call centers and a lot of the call centers in Round Rock. Like all my new peers had never seen what it was like to be on the phones, never did. So I was, all right, guys, we're going to go. <laughs> we're gonna go. Yeah. You're going to go see. And it was eye-opening for them to actually, oh, I see why this, yeah, you see why this happens. You see this after call wait time, you see handle time, you see, you start to see why all these things happen the way they happen. And there's empathy. Have y'all engaged in anything similar or related with, as you're trying to build that kind of connection? I'll give you a little bit of the story. Like I came into Buckland January of 23 this year, mm -hmm. the three guys that were kind of already part of the team and we pretty quickly figured out we needed two more and one of the things I really want to do still is them, you know, a day or two days or three days and just go shadow someone in operations, which is yeah. a lot harder to do when you're in a Zoom call as opposed to kind of in an office where you just, okay, you're going to sit with them and just kind of follow them around, literally shadow them. Now it's, it looks more like an hour or two on more teams kind of saying, okay, look, look through, you know, do an entry, Buckland or customs brokers, have them watch you know, someone in the U.S. team do a customs entry. Let's have them watch someone in the Canadian team do it. You know, mm -hmm. Mexico is coming online for us to have trying to have people watch watch that piece, and because that's that's how the business generates data. It is. Yeah, it's it a user. Is. You know, at the front line, sitting at a keyboard on the ERP system, typing in an entry. And sometimes on the other end, it's amazing what we can learn when we have empathy and are willing to you know kind of walk the mile, mm -hmm. willing to see what they have to go through. And what their and what their jobs are like and what they're doing. Yeah, and like you said, with the call center, it's you know you can sit and look at the information all day long, but you don't really know what that information means until you see it generated. Yeah, is there any uh, courses, learning, reading that you're doing today you want to share? Uh, so Franklin Covey has been a big one, and I give Buckland some credit for that. They've all the managers have gone through a training recently, and then we have access to their websites. So oh, I've got awesome. a lot of micro courses going right now with, you know, vision setting and effective communication and you know, productive one-on-ones. Oh, fantastic. Learning those kind of things. And then I also, you know, feel super blessed with, with good leadership here. I've got a weekly one-on-one -on -one with my boss. We talk about, you know, what's coming up, obviously what we're doing tactically for the business and long-term. And then even above that, our, our CTO does monthly one-on-ones with all of his leadership people. So that's that's been really useful too. And it is kind of, like I said, I focus more on, okay, how do I be a more effective leader? If I think of my job as to say, here's what we need to be focused on because this is what the business needs. I'll give, you know, my people, whoever the, the right person is like, Hey, here's what we need to go develop. Take at it, do your research, you know, give me some solutions you think will be effective and let's talk about those and we'll pick one as a team. So I stay involved in the decision, but then I, I also use that as my okay, here's what go, you know, type into YouTube later if I don't fully understand what they've brought to me already. The, the, the manager group has a joke that we let them touch code once a year. Yes. That's not what he should be focusing on writing. So, so I, yeah, I, I think about, okay, now that I'm moving into a leadership phase, how do I become mm -hmm. a better, more effective leader? And then figure out kind of what level of connection I still have to maintain to technology. That's not, not what I'm here to do, but it's what I get to do, you know, in the evening or on the weekend <laughs> whenever I can buy a year old. Yeah. Or really, really, 
I should give my wife the, the credit there when she graciously gives me the time. It is definitely hard for those of us who come up on the engineering side and to to hand over the reins to the next. So just as you know, your director and other leaders are going to be eventually handing over senior leadership to you, you know, this is going to be hard for them. You're also going through that same transition of handing over those reins and and all those technical decisions to the other people. So there's all this trust, this cascading trust transfer. It's on different vectors, you know, ones on leadership, ones on vision, ones on technology, but it's still this cascade, you know, trust, you know, that happens where that's a that's a know. phrase I might steal from you here is that cascading <laughs> trust, right? It's um, yeah, it is right. Like that, that's what happens. We are, we are different vectors. We are handing, handing down and learning to as leaders, just means that I, you know, I know that you are going to do your best. And sometimes that will, and many times that will turn out well. And sometimes something, you know, adverse is going to happen. That's okay. Cause you know, I know who you are as a person. Yeah. And that's, that probably that trust piece leads back into the army and where I saw the really best really the best leaders was always like one of the golden rules I have is that you never throw any of your people under the bus to someone else in the business. Like you own it. That's part yeah. of the, part of the job. You know, I, I talk to my people about, you know, career planning, like, where do you want to go in five years? Kind of like similar to what you've asked, like what's next for me. Mm-hmm. And that, or do you want to go on to like kind of like a management leadership track or do you want to stay on that distributor track? Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I see in the, the tech community. And there's no, like both are perfectly fine. There's no, in my mind, no better track or worse track. It's what, what is yeah. going to be best for you? What is fits you? What fits your yeah. career? What are you what as a do? person? How do I help, help you grow in that? No. And there's all sorts of ways to have leveraged contribution. You can have leveraged contribution as an individual contributor, just as much as you can a leader. In fact, there's many amazing people who have way more impact, even as an individual contributor than people who are leaders of thousands. It's yeah, so. by the Instead of, you know, my example where I thought I had this amazing metric that didn't turn out to (laughs) any value, it's, you know, the the senior individual contributors, especially know things well enough. They can say, Hey, look, here is a gap that's Mm -hmm. not being addressed. And it's my job. And that's kind of where it's really, really fun for me as a manager is to say, you're right. Go chase it. Yeah. Matt, I appreciate your time today. It's been awesome to provide this perspective as somebody who is a leader in their work today, an up-and-coming leader, and has a bright future ahead. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? Um, I would say probably my LinkedIn. That would be my, yeah. my first path, and we can go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. It was, we're talking, and uh, you know, we'll have to do it again soon in, in Austin and have a drink or two. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture change makers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.